Welcome to the Book Lovers Podcast from Spartanburg County Public Libraries. We're obsessed with books and pop culture, and we know you are too. I'm Joseph Henderson, the Media Specialist. I'm Carmenita Turner, the Media Collection Development Librarian. And I'm Jess Herzog, the Director of Adult Services. Okay, school boards, CTE, barcodes, rooftop hot tubs, the Green Meadow High School Hall of Fame. What do all of these things have in common? We're discussing them on this episode of Book Lovers, which focuses on Tracy Flick Can't Win, Tom Parada's follow-up to his best-selling novel, Election. In addition to all of that other stuff, we're also talking about satire and writing, reconsiderations of the past, and Parada's skills interweaving real-life issues into the heart of Tracy Flick's story. Let's get started. Before we start talking about the book and related to the book, there's a high school hall of fame in Tracy Flick Can't Win. And I'm curious to know, do either of you have people that you would put in the high school hall of fame for where you went to school? I do. My high school's hall of fame inductee would actually definitely be similar to the book, actually, because there was a guy that played football at my high school. Oh. And was a BFD for his whole high school career. And then he played for the NFL for a few years. Oh. Okay. Um, I didn't know his name. I had to look him up. His name is DJ Moore. Okay. And he's one of the pride and joy of Broom High School. He's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, when I was in my junior and senior year, looking at the dates from looking at his stats page, because he had a whole Wikipedia, which I think is a big, anyone from Spartanburg that has their own Wikipedia, you're famous. Yeah, (laughs) sure. Um, I think that when I was in my junior and senior year of high school, that was like his peak NFL time. So everybody was like really into him. And um, my math teacher was a football, was an assistant football coach. And I think he stayed at my math teacher's house when he visited Spartanburg or huh. would spend a lot of time at my math te- with my math teacher and his family. And so it was always like DJ Moore. And the math teacher talked about this guy like it was his own child <laughs> that he uh. had raised mm-hmm. from infancy. And so that was our big, so that would be the name that I think would big, big, definitely come up for my high school's Hall of Fame. I'm I'm going to go super, super local with my particular pick and nominate headquarters own <laughs> Matt Johnson, <laughs> assistant director of circulation. Hi, Matt. <laughs> Matt, if you're listening. <laughs> Matt probably will <laughs> be DJ listening for, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for the, Landrum, for the Landrum High School Hall of Fame, partially because he's the assistant director of circulation and also because I frequently would write his name in uh, whenever um, County Council Member Bob Walker came up for re-election because he was so <laughs> frequently running unopposed. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, so he Matt, has been on Spartanburg County ballots for many years. Yeah. Writing campaign. Uh, uh, under, under a writing campaign. So, um, yeah, that's that's my pick. I Excellent. like that pick because when I've done outreach at the high schools and middle schools, it was kind of a big deal if someone that, they would like remember the kids that worked at the library now. 
yeah. was like a huge deal for the teachers that were there that were like, oh, I taught so-and-so and this year I heard they work at the library. And then we're like, yeah, they're the you know assistant director of yeah, circulation yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm so proud of that kid. Here's a long story about when they were 12. <laughs> 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 so I think that's something that definitely tracks well. Yeah. Sure. What do you do? You have anyone, Jess? Are uh, there any famous people? Yeah, from so City? someone who is not local, you know, in Atlantic City, area. a little town no one's ever heard of. Yeah, yeah. In this tiny state, no one's ever heard of. Correct. I mean, it is a small state for sure. Um, so I went to high school at Atlantic City High School in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and uh, there have been a number of, I, I guess, famous-ish people who have gone to ACHS but the one that I always bring up uh and who I would nominate to be in the ACHS Hall of Fame would be Norman Joseph Woodland who you wouldn't know by name but is oh, well good, known I was worried that it was someone famous and I just didn't know no, <laughs> no. one of his inventions is very well known he toaster uh, strudel no better oh, okay it's on a toaster strudel though he co-invented the barcode. What? Okay. <laughs> what? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when he went to Drexel, um, which is in Philadelphia, he graduated from ACHS and then went to Drexel. And a classmate of his kind of had this idea, and they worked on it together, and they co-invented the barcode. How about that? We have one right here on the back of yeah. Tracy Flynn. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Can't the win. amount of barcodes we use every single day here in the library. Thanks, wow. Norman. That's an that is such a neat story. I and and I think I I I I yeah. Sorry, but like it makes me think of the Mean Girls joke that I made about Toaster Shul. And just imagine his kid in Atlantic City being like, "I don't think my father, the partial inventor of the barcode, would be too pleased to hear about this." <laughs> be mad about RFID. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. <laughs> it's taken Sorry. away, taking away from the beauty of the barcode. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I think the I think the nice thing about that story is that it's a great reminder that for virtually everything that exists, there's a person that thought it up. Yeah, right. For like every <laughs> sort of functional piece of technology that we that we use in some form, you know, we can we can trace it back somewhere. Now, granted, with some of that stuff, we maybe can't. But um, sure. like who ate the first oyster or whatever. Yeah. But, um, who invented the wheel? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, but we do know who co-invented the barcode. And by a certain degree of separation, they have a connection to you. Yep. We both went to the same high school. I love it. Not the same building, although I did go to middle school in the original high school building. So I actually... Went to school in the same building as wow. Norman. <laughs> wow. Before Norman. it was torn down because the roof leaked and it had mold. Uh-huh. <laughs> Norman, if <Yeah>. you're listening. <laughs> Norman is not. I mean, maybe from another plane he might be listening, but yeah. Norman's moved on to do other things. <laughs> you shared the same air. We did. That's the same gross. salty, humid air as Norman. Uh-huh. Okay. So anyway, I just wanted to ask that because I'm curious, but... I think we should talk about Tracy Flick can't win. Sure. Yes. What? Uh, and why we're talking about Hall of Fame? Well, we're talking about Hall of Fames because what's so funny about this book? Like I was thinking about it last night. I was like, yeah, Tracy Flick. You know, it's about the character from Election, right? Which is a book by Tom Parada. But then I started thinking about it. And I was like, really? How would I describe this? It's like high school Hall of Fame plans gone wrong. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which is just like such a funny concept. 
I'm actually in the process of reading Election Now. And one of the things that I noticed about Tracy Flick Can't Win is that it's written in a very, very similar format to Election, where yeah. it bounces back and forth from character perspective to character perspective. What did you guys think of that? Well, I know I say it all the time that I, I listen to the audiobook, surprising no one. But this is a, I cannot read, read the physical or ebook version of multiple points of view. It is very difficult for me to keep track of everyone, and I can really only do it as audio. And there's been audiobooks I've read where they do one actor or one narrator for the whole production. But then there's other ones like this where it's a full cast, and Lucy Liu does Tracy Flick's chapters. Nice. So it was a really delightful audiobook. I love when actors do audiobooks. I wish more of them would. And um, it's just so well done. Now there's other people, and I think a couple other big names do it, but she's definitely the biggest name with the full cast. And it really helps um, the characters kind of come alive to have those different narrators, because then you can sort of have this mental association, not only with the way the character sounds, but the exact way that specific actor or narrator is talking connects so well with how the character talks. So like... Um, Tracy was able to come across as like very career driven but also very exhausted with the way that Lucy Liu read her and it's just such a great narration yeah I um, I generally like books that are told from multiple points of view as long as there's some other there's some other facet to the story um, where the fact of the multiple points of view is drawing out different registers, inventing some new way of thinking about time in the story. I don't know. There's different different things you can you can do. For sure. And one of the things that this book does so well is by having those by having those different narr- narrative voices that are operating on different registers and levels of complexity but then also including the text of the nomination letters for the hall of fame (laughs) from some of the same characters (laughs) it just or just from other characters entirely it just adds this like chorus choral dimension to it that's a great way to describe um, it that that adds so much comedy and suggests again there's a whole world here. It's all fully realized and fully thought out. This is this little slice of it that we're getting in these characters' lives, like in this particular moment. Right. Because what we see in Tracy Flick is that, like, the first person narratives that we're getting are specifically the uh, selection committee members for the Hall of Fame. Right. right. And what's nice about that is that we're getting some adults, but also a couple of teenagers and their perspective on things from a first person narrative. And you don't necessarily see that a lot in terms of like kind of crossing the line with age very often. But that's something that Tom Parada does really well in election as well. And he returns to that with a lot of success, I think, in Tracy Flick Can't Win. Those letters are... (laughs) A hot mess. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Even listening to them, um, I don't remember exactly how they did it, but I feel like it was a different narrator, at least alternating narrators for the letters. And it's just so very well narrated of, like there was one where she's like, my son didn't really do anything, but he is so great. Yeah. And we're just so <laughs> proud of him. And it's like, it just does a really good job of 
putting a lot of bubbliness or a lot of nervousness into the letters. Yeah, and there's one that's like a like a head of PR nominating <laughs> yeah. nominating this guy who runs a car dealership and she's like PS biographical sizzle reel attached and it's like no one wants that. Right. But we all know someone who would write a letter like that, yes. right? Yeah. Or we can we can definitely see classmates that we had being nominated through letters like that, which makes it super relatable. Yeah, yeah. like there was a guy that I went to high school with that would write a letter like that, and it would maybe come from his PR team, and that's his wife running his band's Instagram account. Oh, <laughs> boy, oh, boy. You know, that kind of a level. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what it's like. Here's his SoundCloud. Yeah. <laughs> Elite Productions presents... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I think another facet of this like multi multi voiced choral storytelling is, and and one of the things why, or one of the reasons why this works so well for Tom Parada's writing is because it creates a necessary sense of friction and conflict around how people see situations or their own lives so differently. Yeah, um, and there's just I, I don't know. There's just like a natural occurring organic comedy to that. Right. Um, well, and because as readers, we're always in on the joke. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it may be. Whereas Tracy might not be in on it or the teenagers right. might not get it. But we always know what it is because we've got another character explaining to us what's happened to cause X or Y to, to occur. Right. Um, <laughs> which honestly kind of ramps up the comic ability of Tom Parada because a lot of the times with like a third person omniscient narrator we get the story but it's like cold hard facts kind of story right mm-hmm. whereas everyone has to kind of explain themselves <laughs> in in this yeah, case and that makes right. it much funnier and one of the things that was really funny about that is the two kid perspectives oh, yeah. that really just see all these people as adults that they just respect because they're adults and authority figures. Whereas since we're in the head of the adults, we see them as constantly arguing with each other, really right. mad about insignificant things that seem insignificant to us and doing really kind of awful things to each other. But to the kids, they're just like, oh, that's just the head of the school board and the assistant principal. And that's it. They don't really see all the other layers to it. So the right. kids are especially not in on it because we see all of the complexity of the adults. Yes. And as an adult now, I see, and this is something I kind of saw when I was a kid because my dad was on the school board. <laughs> so I like I can see a lot of this actually occurring. But no one thinks they're the center of the universe quite like a school board member mm. does. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't I don't know why. <laughs> I'll never understand. I'm not running for school board anytime soon. But it you're not going to keep like that legacy alive. I am not. No, <laughs> would be so disappointed. Yeah. yeah, Ed will have to live without. But it's like there's this for a lot of people who get into politics. That's your very first taste of power is the school board, and it's like you get that little droplet, and you want more. <laughs> And then you get to be the president of the school board and you're like, oh, my God, I can make anything happen with this school. And because there are so many people who are looking at the school, it makes you it like super inflates your sense of self-worth sure. and importance. Yeah. I mean, I think I don't know. I I don't I wouldn't claim that this is the 
this is the answer as to why you know people get so overly involved with their own inflated sense of self as you know school board members or what have you but it certainly rhymes with the kinds of uh, conflicts that I remember from the context of you know higher education where all of the battles feel so dramatic and so yeah. pitched because the stakes are so incredibly low. Yes. That ding ding. <laughs> no one outside of this room cares Absolutely. about this anywhere near as much right. as you do. And that's what's so super funny about this book because these are people who are living their way through what I would consider to be a, a small story. Like it's not, sure. it isn't about the war in Iraq. There isn't a murder there. Like it's not this right. huge story that is like irrevocably changing multiple lives. Yeah. It's a tiny story about the school board and a hall of fame at a like failing high school, but they all think they're living their way through the biggest story of their lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and whereas we're reading it and we're like, y'all are being stupid about this. Yeah. It's the most important decision for their town. And it goes on this international level because the big name that comes up is Vito. Was that his name? Vito? Yes. The football player. The big mm-hmm. football yeah. player who did such an illustrious NFL career. Our fictional DJ Moore. A fictional DJ Moore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then who else ends up in the Hall of Fame? That was what I really liked. Front desk Diane. Front desk Diane. <laughs> Diane, who's like the, the school secretary and has been for 20 plus years. Right. And really, there's this interesting comparison between Vito and Diane because Vito's like famous, famous, quote unquote. There are people who know him. Um, he's been in the papers. He had an NFL career, that kind of stuff. But in the community... Front desk Diane is way is more famous. Way more famous. She gets stopped at the grocery store. She just wants to be left alone to buy her cottage cheese. I can relate. And like, <laughs> do you she's get stopped seen, in the grocery store? I got stopped once for overdrive help at Publix. <laughs> I one time. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's a little bit of taste of that kind of power wow. working with the public, like we do, because me and. Um, Kath, who worked, used, we both used to work in teams together. Kath is now the Spark Space librarian. But we ended up going to the same gym as some of the teens. Oh. And so we would oh be like, boy. you know, you're running. And then someone's like, hey, Miss Carmenita. I'm like, oh, <laughs> and no. You're, you're like wearing your sweaty clothes. <laughs> and yeah, you're like not dying a, on the treadmill. Not a single spot of red lipstick or earrings uh-huh. in sight. And uh-huh. here I am sweaty and dying. And they're just like, I know that person. <laughs> yes. And that's exactly how front desk Diane is. Yes. Yeah. She's just like, she is almost like the mascot of the school, despite not being like particularly school spirited or anything like that. She's just the public face. And I thought that was so realistic because a friend of mine um, experienced like a front desk Diane type with her high school. It was a teacher that worked at the high school that she went to or the school that she went to for like 50 years. Yeah, their institution. Yeah, taught every single person. And I think it was in Lyman. Taught every single person basically that lived in Lyman over the last 50 years. And I think when she died, the town of Lyman like closed for her funeral. It was like such a huge deal. It was like a president level motorcade. A state funeral for this person that was a teacher for so long because everybody knew her and connected with her and she was such a big part of the community and she was that was how she was recognized and it was really great to see in this book someone like that recognized while they're still alive yeah like bring me my flowers now yeah sure 
while I'm still alive to smell them. Yeah. Like the <laughs> the cheap red carpet was rolled out for Diane yeah. and she got to bring her dad. Like that's another part of this. Every character I feel like is fleshed out really well in this story, whether we get their first person perspective or not. Like Diane is dealing with a father who has Alzheimer's and doesn't always recognize her and an annoying sister that she just wants to leave her alone. And despite really Diane being more like a plot device for the most part for other characters, she still holds her own as a completely fleshed out character, which is really, really cool. You don't, you don't always see that, especially with like, literary adjacent fiction like the focus is the focus and everyone else serves to point you toward the focus as opposed to being seen living their own lives and i think that diane gets the benefit of living her own life in a way that Vito doesn't because when he comes back it's a big thing of them wanting him to wear a reproduction of his high school jersey or something whereas diane just gets to wear her fancy clothes yeah at least she got to pick out her own dress yeah and so she just gets to have a little bit more agency on the actual night of the event because she gets to live this is just who i am where Vito is still battling like who he was and who he is and who he should have been and right and he's in this 12 step program (laughs) and he's trying to make amends with so many people and like there's a lot going on in Vito's life yeah (laughs) Um, Vito is a he's he's a bit of a mess but he is trying yes Yes, we do see we do see him making an effort um but uh but even there I don't know there's a there's a curious, there's a curious doubleness to to a lot of these characters. Where, okay, on the on the one hand, you have the front desk Diane, and we can all think of front desk Dianes in our own lives. Yeah, and we all had them. We we all had, <laughs> still have versions of them in some form or another. Um, and we have one at the library. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we have a few of them at the I library. Feel like we They're do too. like staples. Evelyn is one of them, our Evelyn. head of Homebound. Yeah. Um, she'd be like Homebound Evelyn. <laughs> she retired yeah. a few years ago, but um, Kathy, who worked in Cirque, she was tall, thin, very sweet voice. Kathy V, yes. She remembered me when I was a baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coming into this library. Yeah. And so it was just someone that was here for well over 25 years. Yeah. And tons of people that worked at this library knew her as children or people before they started working yeah Yeah. and it's just there's so many small examples of the front desk diane archetype institutions right and and so you know one of the things that the one of the things that tom parada does in the novel is he he takes a a character like that whose life does feel very ordinary he fleshes them out we see more details we see more wrinkles and complication and you know complexity there but then with a character like Vito who in the context of how the town sees him and how they want to, how the high school wants to celebrate him as, you know, their heroic legacy or what have you. um, In the context of the book, he's an absolute disaster. Right. Um, And, and he, he has really gone through a lot and has really contended with, um so many of these ideas about how his life was supposed to turn out and didn't turn out and all sorts of regrets and other things that have just eaten him up uh inside yeah based on the choices that he's made choices he hasn't made and and so on so there's there is a real there's a real like interesting balance of i don't know pathos and depth 
um, in in some of the character depictions as For well. Sure. And I think that, I mean, Vito is on a parallel trajectory to the one that Tracy is on. Right. And I'm to bring in our main character, our... Yes for better or worse, heroine, Tracy Flick, the one and only. Um, She is also on that trajectory of the path not taken or the decision not made or the decision that had to be made. And for Vito, it's he blows out his knee. He's not able to play in the NFL anymore. Life, he's had, he's hit his head a few times. He he maybe has CTE, which mm-hmm. is something that's been in the news recently. Um, yes, just yesterday, Demarius Thomas was um, posthumously diagnosed with CTE. Wow. So it's something that is it comes up a lot, sure. and um, he starts to spiral out because of that. And Tracy, her moment was when she found out that her mom was sick, and everything that she had planned for her whole life was put on hold pretty much permanently and she ends up coming home to take care of her mom she becomes a teacher instead of the lawyer that she was planning to become and that's it's like there's a lot of consideration of what I should have done regardless of or whoever the character may be it's the the path not taken is explored a lot by a lot of the characters especially the adult characters definitely yeah 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 it's a it's an abiding sort of theme of the novel that really runs through really runs through the whole thing um and one of the things that makes it i think fairly interesting and unique for thinking about in um in relation to the previous novel election where it it is a sequel but it's also an it's also an example of at least one major adult character looking back on their life and thinking about, thinking about those choices that were made and paths paths that were taken and weren't taken. And I don't know, there's a, I I feel like there's a very satisfying um, bittersweet quality to that, that also makes these characters feel real and tangible and, you know, presented to us in a very lifelike and accessible way. Yeah. Cause I think we all think back about like what would have happened if X or Y had happened to me instead. Um, and then how would my life have gone differently because of that? And everyone has to reckon with that essentially on an ongoing basis. And we're always kind of reconsidering what does my life look like now? Right. Was this the right call? And I mean, at the end of the day, you only have one life to live. So it's always the right call that you've made. Right. You have no choice but to look at it that way. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> Even Vito, yes. you know, he's <laughs> he's made his decisions and his choices and now he is trying, which is good. Um, but there's also there's a lot of room and space for like, especially for Tracy. I think she struggles to push back and hold behind her and not allow regret to appear in her life, especially considering the way that her life should have gone. Um, and she never, I'm, she never holds her mom responsible for anything in terms of like, it's my, it's my mom's fault that she got sick and I couldn't go to school or whatever. Like that never happens. And Tracy has a really great relationship with her mom. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't be a little clear-eyed about it. I mean, I feel like Tracy needs therapy. Absolutely. <laughs> because one of the things that's the big difference, I think, between Vito and Tracy is Vito is looking back at his life and being like, yeah, you were a terrible person when you were just the high school's golden boy as a senior. You were awful to the two girlfriends that you had in high school. You continue to yeah. be awful to every girlfriend and wife you've had since. You were a terrible person. Whereas Tracy is kind of at a point, and he's like, and you're going to be a better person. Right. You're going to make amends. You're going to call also, people, apologize, do better. Yeah, and he does have a support system through AA, the 12-step yeah. program. Right. He has a sponsor. So there are people there who are helping to guide him. Yes. Whereas Tracy has a couple of moments where someone, especially I believe it was with Marissa in the sauna. Yes. Because Marissa has her own sauna. Of course. A rooftop Marissa, sauna. As the husband or the wife of the school board president. Yes. <laughs> that's like the most ridiculous house. It just, I could envision it because it, what was it? It was described as like three glass boxes stacked on top of yes. each other yes. sideways. Because he was a, a an app developer and mm-hmm. right, from California. And I'm just like, in New Jersey though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, but there's a point when they're together in the sauna where Marissa's like, well, Tracy's talking about her high school life and stuff that happened in election year, which um, I did not read the election book i decided to come into this just as someone not engaging with the original material just to assure everyone that it can be done yeah (laughs) when there's a 20 year gap between the books you do not always have to read the whole thing you can just enjoy what's put out and so um but marissa sort of questioning her in a way and making um tracy really think about her life and when tracy thinks about her high school life for 10 seconds she has a mental breakdown and a panic attack and she runs out and a nosebleed basically yeah because she they're in the sauna so she runs out with just the towel and a nosebleed it talks about it being kind of cold outside because it's like coming up on winter and so she has a a panic attack breakdown nose physical and emotional reaction to having to seriously think about her past so it shows that she doesn't, she tries not to think about it. She just keeps going forward like Edna Mode. <laughs> yep. And she doesn't want to think about the past because she is not at a point where she's ready to even confront her past in any good or bad way. Yeah. So absolutely. I think that Tracy needs a really good therapist. She, Which is part like of a, that. Even a mediocre one would be helpful Yeah. yeah. Even an Instagram therapist that comes up yeah. on her explore page. Like, <laughs> <she just laughs> like anything. If we can get anything in for this woman, it would be helpful. Just some reels of positive self-talk. Yeah. And affirmations. Yeah. 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 And how to, because one of the things when she does start to think about what her life should have been, she'll get into these should have, could have meant to loops. And that's something that I have learned is not a healthy thing for your brain. It sure no. isn't. And no. so even when I was reading about the stuff that she did, she's dealing with and the loops that she gets in, I was like, I was hearing some of my therapist words. And I was like, just little things that'll really help you confront that. But you also have to be at a point where you're ready for that. Right. And just like Vito was like an alcoholic for a really long time before he decided to get help. And you have to make that decision to find, to get help, to better yourself. And I don't think Tracy has hit that yet. No, um, not quite yet. (laughs) I want to talk about Jack, who is Tracy's boss. Mr. Weed. Mr. Weed, who is planning to retire. His wife has recently beaten like Stage four cancer. Yeah, that was Which intense. is absolutely incredible. Good for her. Uh, she's a fictional character, but still good for her. That's pretty impressive. And he 
And that's Once, why he's retiring. I think right. that's such an important part yeah. of his character. Yeah. Because they had always had the pipe dream of like, which is, and Jack even makes a joke that it's just a common pipe dream. It's not original of wanting to retire and travel America in an RV. And so once she is fully cleared of cancer, she's like, we could just do that now. And And he's like, all right, let's go. I'll retire. I'm going to retire. And so he says, he promises her and goes through with it. I kind of expected him to um, change his mind or be called back into the fray. And, but he's like, no, I'm retiring end of the year. Mm we're done. I'm going to travel with my wife. We're going to celebrate this. Yeah. He stands really firm, which is impressive, especially when you find out that, Ooh. uh, he record scratch noise. <laughs> Skirt. Uh, he had a longstanding affair with front desk. Diane. Ugh. Whoops. And that stopped the day that Alice, his wife was diagnosed with cancer yeah. and he decided he made the decision. So Jack is actually the unique example of the road, both taken and not taken. Like he took both roads. <laughs> yes. He took Alice road and he took Diane lane. <laughs> oh, Hey, Diane lane. <laughs> okay. Nailed it. Um, but you know, he did, he just, he took both directions and how does that work out for Jack? super great <laughs> it does he doesn't really I mean, have yeah. many consequences of it because his affair with diane it's kept a secret he kind of doesn't really think about it it was shattering for diane because she truly right. loved him and so all of this stuff and then he still is even though he had the affair he still has like the good husband points for being so dedicated to his wife and even when we we're talking about him we're like oh but he ended the affair he was there for his wife, which is feels a little patronizing to say, right. but statistically that doesn't often happen with women. Um, women who are diagnosed with a terminal disease, like forms of cancer, there is a significantly high number of women who are diagnosed with cancer who their husbands leave them because yeah. it's too much yeah. to care for a right. sick wife. Whereas like he stays with her, he breaks off the affair, he gives her his everything yeah Yeah. and then when she's fine when she when she is cured quote unquote when her cancer is gone he's like all right whatever you want that's what we're gonna do for the rest of our lives um and it's just really really interesting to see because yeah he doesn't have any consequences to his actions really except for the ending well i mean yeah the rest of the rest (laughs) of our lives ended up being about eight more months for him we'll (laughs) get to that yeah but also alice alice knows yes and yeah. for, oh, such a for, great <laughs> for Alice, the the kicker isn't like, yeah, he had an affair a while back. Like she's gotten over that. He's shown that he's committed to her. But when front desk Diane is chosen to be in the Hall of Fame. Because it's Jack that suggests it when she comes into their meeting. Right. And Jack is like, oh, Diane should be it. And everybody is like, oh, she should yes, be. Yes, unanimous vote. Diane's that does, the one. And that doesn't even come, because we see it from his point of view. And so he doesn't see himself as a bad person or a uh, manipulative person for saying that. He's just like, she's a big part of the school. She's an institution. And um, then his wife finds out about Diane being in the Hall of Fame. She says, you bastard. You put her in the Hall of Fame. Like she finds out in the newspaper. (laughs) (laughs) Because this whole time she's known about the affair and it just ends. That's the end of the Mm -hmm. chapter. We don't know what happens to Jack. (laughs) Just the moment of that, like her sitting there holding like the school newspaper and And a bottle of wine that she's like half drink, I think. Yes. (laughs) First thing in the morning too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
so there's this like there's this setup and things kind of tumble downward from there but jack i think is an interesting character because he is he's an affable human being and he's respected by kids he's respected by the teachers tracy even respects him although tracy has to do all his dirty work yeah um right (laughs) which we see from start to finish and i mean that seems like just an assistant's job a lot of the time is to do the dirty work Sorry to Vanessa, my assistant, <laughs> who does all our schedules. Mm-hmm. That's her dirty work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Who's definitely listening. Yep. Um, so even Kyle Dorfman is kind of like this, the two sides of things, because he cheats on his wife. And yes. he talks about it in a way, though, everyone does. Yeah. Which, in this book, it seems like, yeah, actually, everyone does. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Everyone's it, cheating on their spouse or cheating with spouses. <laughs> right. So the... Uh, the plan to fix that was the fresh start moved from California to New Jersey and Marissa got whatever house she wanted, which is how they end up with this glass monstrosity plopped in the middle of (laughs) the suburbs in New Jersey with a sauna and like a rooftop hot tub or something like that. (laughs) Like (laughs) it's an absolutely ridiculous house. And part of a good satire, I think is when there are certain aspects of a story that are ratcheted up to like 11 Mm-hmm. Not everything, but just like a couple of things that are like turned up all the way. And that house is one of them. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then it's just like a thing that, you know, you can laugh at. That's completely safe to laugh at regardless. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting combination of people. And we look at them all. They're all thinking about the past and what their lives have been like, except for the teenagers. The teenagers, all they can think about is the future and getting away from hanging out with these grownups. And even then, just barely. Yeah. (laughs) I think that I've read a lot of books about teenagers, for teenagers, adult books featuring that are written with teenagers because I worked in the teen department for so long. And it is actually kind of rare to see such well-written teen characters in a book for adults. Yes. Like, Mm. Parada does such a good job writing um nate and lily just as these just captures their teen viewpoint so well it was really surprising and refreshing because i've read a lot of books that are like this that are a little bit literary um have a lot to say with a small amount of um actual book writing writing story and it's like this is a pretty short book but right the teen characters has just these like cw caricatures yeah it's like have you you realize euphoria isn't actually how teenagers are, right, author? Like, it's right. not accurate. But that's their only real experience with teenagers. But Parada does such a good job writing these very realistic teenagers. They're, they have just as much emotional depth as the adults, just in different ways. Right, and they have lives of their own that are separate from yes. the adults and not motivated by the adults. And I think that's where a lot of stories told for adults by adults that feature teens kind of fail is that they're really used as some sort of machination for for the adult characters whereas in this case lily's figuring out her sexuality she's got a non-binary like undercover partner that's trying to hide from her cranky mom and clueless dad yes. and she's got this whole thing going on and then nate is like I... falling in love with an asmr like former camp counselor yes. of his which is just like the most ridiculous also thing. nate really captures the like 
this is so important only to them because he puts together the sizzle reel of Vito that they play at the (laughs) opening of the Hall of Fame. And he doesn't even care that it's about Vito. He doesn't care about any of that. He just locks onto, and I think the exact quote, without looking at the book, that was just really memorable. Wait, I have to find it because it's like this (laughs) iconic moment. It's five seconds. It's such a great line. And when I heard that line, when I heard that line in the audiobook, I paused it. And just laughs for like a good 30 <laughs> seconds. Because I could see it so clearly. His pride and joy for this line. You're right for it. I concluded with a full minute of Green Day's good riddance. Time of your life. <laughs> Played over a slideshow of Vito as a little kid. Vito in his Pop Warner uniform. Vito at the prom. Vito in a cap and gown. Vito and Reggie with their arms around each other after the last game of their undefeated senior year, both of them sweaty and joyful, grinning the biggest grins you've ever seen. And then the screen goes black, and all it says for like five whole seconds is directed by Nate Cleary. And I can't even tell you how good that felt. And it's so ridiculous. Because <laughs> <laughs> first off, think, really think about the reality of sitting there. For a full minute oh, God, I'm of a 20-year-old Green Day song. Now, I love Green Day, but a 20-year-old Green Day song yeah. that is the most overplayed <laughs> Well, we've song. all seen videos like that at retirements yes. and reunions and that kind of yes. stuff. God, horrific to watch. <laughs> but he just sees it as something so, like, he's like, this is it. This is my entire direct, this is my directorial debut. This is my vision. <laughs> he's waited for this moment. For as long as he can remember. Such a huge thing when everyone else in the room is just kind of a little bit irritated by it. Yeah, and they're (laughs) all like, Uh, clap, yay for you. And it's just so well done. And the excitement of the narration is there for every single second of that little chapter of his. And it's like... And that kind of big feeling is the only... Only something that happens to you when you're a teenager. Yes. Because right. by right. the time you're an adult, you're like, oh, God, another one of these videos. But when you're a teen, you're just like, ah, the world I is brave and new. made yeah, this. Happening. I put all of this together. Yes, yes. I did this myself with the help of my ASMR girlfriend. Right. <laughs> and uh, that was like, and then it all goes bad. Very uh, bad. So his very big bad, directorial debut fast. gets very... Uh, Mem- his, no one remembers that because they remember this other horrible things that happened. Right. right, right. Which, you know, is a pity in a way because for Nate, it's like he has, you want to talk about a peak and then a <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. This, it's like a roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's you're up, 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 and then the drop right off the cliff. Um, so I guess, should we talk about the ending? The ending is just one of the things, really shows one of the things I really love about this book, which is a weird thing to say about the ending. But Parada does such a good job of bringing into this book and into these characters' lives major social political issues and topics without making this a book focused on those issues. Yeah. Because the, the big ending is um, there's a shooting at the Hall of Fame and several people die. But this book didn't ever read like a school shooting book. And it actually does a different sort of take on the school shooter um, story of sorts. It's odd to call that a story, but it, it does a, it tells that very real, very real, very tragic story in a way that's different from how a lot of other media is trying to tackle that topic. And he just brings up so many things 
throughout the book and i'd like to get you guys' take on how he handles those issues because he yeah. just does it so beautifully yeah. i really like it because it's another thing that makes this book so so relatable because we are not like we as people are not our issues but they're things that we live in with that we share sure. space with in society in general regardless of how we feel about a topic one way or the other it's always there mm-hmm. and it exists but like my entire life is not committed to thinking about this one issue and talking about it all the time but it's just it's always there you know it's in the air we breathe basically and Tom Parada does such a great job of really harnessing that I mean Tracy has a very organic way of thinking about me too and the way that it impacts her and kind of reconsidering the relationships that she's had in the past that are explored in an election and what that looks like and um, which was very similar to kind of how I started thinking about me too and kind of looking back at some of the relationships I'd had in the past and um, you know like bringing up CTE and Vito's brain damage and everything like that we see so many of those topics pop up in in Tracy Flick, but it's not done in this like political way. Right. It's done in the way that it is like a societal thing that we all live with. And like one of the things that made the first thing that made me realize that aspect of the book was when Vito was talking about his high school relationships and he, he got two girls pregnant that he knows of but while he was in high school there were two girls that got pregnant and got abortions and one of them was from a very strict staunch catholic family right right and still got abortions and he just says it in the way that a lot of the characters are telling their their life story of sorts where it's not something that he doesn't in a way of this shows what a terrible guy i was it doesn't make a judgment call of which way was the best way for either of the girls that teenage boy him had a relationship with. But just an, it's just another way of him feeling this is ways I failed and this is how I'm trying to be better. Yeah. And it doesn't tie into like who he should have voted for yeah. or anything like <laughs> that, sure. which no. like we live in South Carolina. We're all being like pummeled over the head with mid year or um, midterm election commercials, even though it's right. July, like this is exhausting. And so it's just it's part of life and it's part of living that we see these things pop up what was your take with the issues of the non-issue book (laughs) yeah i mean i think um you know i feel like i've read i've read a fair amount of of explicitly overtly political fiction and um and fiction that that takes the approach that parada does here and and i think that there's there's a necessary lightness of touch in Parada's approach that affords a wider readership in general because, sure. because we have recognizable political sociocultural issues in the, in this novel, but they're presented in a way that aren't, that don't map onto easily like summarizable, recognizable lines of debate. Yeah. So for instance, thinking about Tracy Flick's character in light of me too, and the me too movement, this is where the novel starts. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's so insightful about Parada's handling 
of her character in particular is how he has her thinking through the fact that as she was growing up, she was frustrated with what she felt was a sense of mediocrity in her peers and a lack of seriousness in her peers and her desire for essentially adult approval and not peer approval. And she arrives at that and thinks about the sexual relationship that she had an emotional relationship that she had with one of her high school teachers and, and shows even as a fictional character, such complication and flexibility in the way that she's thinking about that, that again, I mean, it just adds, it adds a certain level of, I don't know, nuance and complication that, slides away from like easily summarizable political points yes right right because that's life you yeah know? that's how it works we aren't none of us are just like this set of sticks in the ground i guess sure. with our points on them <laughs> um right. we're all like these living being creatures that our minds change over time we grow we learn we our bodies change shape our feet get bigger like all this stuff happens and so um, I think that's why this is such a great book is because Parada is such a master at harnessing that and showing Precisely. that it's just simply life. Yeah. And, and even with a character like Glenn, who at the end of the novel is, is, is the shooter. Right. Um, there are absolutely heartbreaking scenes of him reflecting on how Vito treated his brother, Carl, mm-hmm. um, who had some developmental disabilities um, when they were all in school together. And he's reflecting on that and reflecting on, um, you know, Carl's sense, you know, his sense of Carl's squandered promise yeah, and, and so on. And it's not to say, well, what Tom Prada does is humanizes so on and so forth it's just to say no there's not humanization it's just all of these characters are just human. achingly heartbreakingly human right yes. that's the point yeah and so and so i think the comedy in the satirical dimension is it's achieved here but this is also a book that I mean, at least for me, it just makes you feel things really deeply. You know, yeah, you feel yeah. you feel for these characters in how um, how utterly recognizable they are, and so I think there's that there's that deeper human dimension. Carmenita, for me, really is the thing that the thing that grounds the the issues, you know, aspect of the book where we see well, you know. There's no allegory here. No one person stands in for one thing or one type of voter or one type of political ideology. It's it's all a mix and a and a and a you know mishmash of different things, and and really ultimately what Parad is chasing after is that sense of you know um, of complication. Yeah, and I think too. I mean, when we talk about humor and comedy. From a reader's advisory perspective, that's one of those genres that is really about accessing your feelings in a safe space. And humor can often lead in the direction of better understanding a perspective that you don't necessarily relate to um, because it allows you to access your feelings. And Tom Parada 
especially is such a master of the satire because he makes it funny, but it never takes away from the heart of the matter. Right. And we never lose focus of what's really important here in order to make the joke. You know, like the school shooting is not a funny part of the book. Um, how Tracy responds to it thereafter. There's some comical moments. Yeah. Where she's like, yeah, I'm trapped in this sling. And I, but I had to go back to work. And, and I got to be the principal. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> Good job, Tracy. <laughs> that Hall of Fame thing really worked out for you. You know, it's stuff like that. Like, oh, yeah, she still made it. And now she's yeah. suddenly co-parenting with Marissa. Sure. Um, and Mr. Mr. School Board has, I don't know, moved to Hawaii to make a new app. Yeah, it's like <laughs> he's working on his mindful mindfulness, and he's making a new app. Perfect for Tracy. Right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe she'll maybe she'll download that app. Maybe know. who knows? She's trying. They're all they're all trying, and I think that's sort of the 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 core point of telling a very yes. human story. It's everyone trying to do their best, and they know that sometimes it's not going to work, and they hope that it will work, and it's just trying. Which I think is the most that we can ask for a lot of people. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. It's time for the reader's advisory corner. Whoop, whoop. When we just, we share with you what you should read if you've read Tracy Flick Can't Win and you want to read more like it, kind of. So, Joseph, what do you have? I have one recommendation this time. Okay. Um, it's a relatively short novel by one of my favorite writers, Sam Lipsight. Uh, the novel is called Homeland. And it is written as a series of updates to the Eastern Valley High School alumni newsletter, Catamount Notes. Oh, boy. Um, And all of these updates are written by a certain Lewis Minor, class of 1989, a.k.a. Teabag. Uh, whose life is it the full word tea bag tea bag like okay. one word Great. <laughs> uh, whose life really did not uh, really didn't work out for him oh well uh, so I just want to read since I only have one recommendation I, I just want to read an excerpt from the very first paragraph are we of gonna this have book. to turn our microphones off so we can cackle uh, I don't know I think you might be okay, okay. Um, I like a little left in the back yeah <laughs> it's it's always good uh, so the first the first chapter is called feeling is not quite the word It's confession time, Catamounts. It's time you knew the cold, soft facts of me. Ever since Principal Fontana found me and commenced to bless my mail slot monthly with the Eastern Valley High School alumni newsletter, I've been meaning to write my update. Sad to say, vanity slowed my hand. Let a fever for the truth speed it now. Let me stand on the rooftop of my reckoning and shout naught but the indisputable. I did not pan out. And so that is the uh, that is oh the opening boy. lines of uh, an absolute delight of a novel. We've got I, bad Shakespeare um, in the building. I want to yeah. read that. And I feel like I will start every apology email with vanity slowed my hand. <laughs> <laughs> it will give you many ideas for uh, inner office emails Great. to send. Cool. Um, so that is my that is my recommendation. Sam Lipsight's great novel, Homeland. Great. Carmenita, what do you have? I have two, um, and they're very different types of recommendations. So my first recommendation is for fans of the book. And if you want to read something, want to engage with something similar, but that shows a more destructive version of it. There is a new movie called The Novice. It's a drama that came out in 2021. 
and it was added to the collection. I would say I probably purchased it for our collection about three months ago. And it follows um, a college student. She is um, a non-athletic and very studious freshman um, and just kind of suddenly decides to join her college's rowing team. Which sure, rowing, why not? Like, you know, in canoes and stuff. <laughs> Crew team. Yeah, <laughs> she joins that. Obviously, I'm not the athletic person. But um, it was very compelling. And um, she's someone that becomes obsessive about this to the point of physical and mental exhaustion and danger because she doesn't know how to go a normal a quote-unquote normal amount she can only do destructively obsessive amounts um this i think this is a great companion because it shows the darker reality of obsessive personalities like tracy's the whole um idea of you have to win by any means necessary no matter what it costs to you mentally what it costs to you socially um, and all the detriment that her obsession has on her life. Um, it also has like sort of, it's just a really like little squeegee, squeezy part of it where it's like, oh, this is really uncomfortable. So there's going to be some visceral moments of it. But it sort of, sort of shows where Tracy could have ended up if she mm-hmm. hadn't been able to channel her energies into like local politics. Sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of like high school president and um, principal. Um, my other one is a recommendation for Tracy, which is to not watch that movie, first of all. Do <laughs> not watch The Novice. But um, Tracy has an 11-year-old daughter who we didn't get the chance to talk about on the podcast, but she feels a little bit disconnected from her daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another thing where Tracy doesn't really unpack her emotions that much. And um, I think that there's a lovely opportunity for Tracy and her daughter to kind of reconnect. And so this is sort of a recommendation for anybody that connected with that part of Tracy, where you're kind of middle-aged and the career in life isn't really going exactly the way you want, and you realize that maybe your relationship with your kid is kind of struggling as a result. There are a lot of really incredible um, children's literature, movie and TV adaptions coming out, and there's three big ones that I think would be a good thing for Tracy and her daughter to kind of read together and then watch together. And it sort of gives Tracy like that kind of like, goal-oriented hangout time with her kid okay because <laughs> i feel like the unstructured like we're gonna bake cookies together which is what she did with her mom isn't something that tracy really wants to do right necessarily because there, there's not really a strong goal for yeah, her. she really needs like a book report at the end of things yeah yeah so her book report could be based on um the school for good and evil by soman shinani is getting a netflix adaption um Children, Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adami is getting a Paramount TV show, I believe. And the Miss Marvel comics are getting a Disney Plus TV show. So those are all things okay. that I feel like Tracy would sort of relate to the characters. They're all three can be a little bit more cerebral, especially the school for good and evil. It has a lot going on there, a lot to unpack, and a lot for Tracy and her daughter to kind of enjoy together. And they have this kind of structured thing. Um, I also like the idea of recommending that for Tracy because I want Tracy to be an ardent supporter of her school's library. <laughs> I love <laughs> and it. And someone that really supports her school's library as she becomes principal to really become someone that's a defender of that. That's what okay. I would like for her. I feel like she probably is. Yeah, yeah. I, think I can so. see it. Yeah. I don't see her being the kind of being caught up in that. But um, yeah, that's what that's what I've got. So something for Tracy and something for the readers. What about you, Jess? So I have two. These are both for readers, <laughs> as opposed to Tracy herself. Um, first is a film called Network, 
which is essentially Tracy Flick can't quit or Tracy Flick can't win, but at a failing TV network instead. (laughs) So it's got all of the, uh, all of the wild players who feel like their part is the most important part, but none of their parts are really all that important. (laughs) Um, and then all of the manipulation and backstabbing and kind of juicy parts of it. And it all spirals absolutely out of control and ends really, really ridiculously. It's a really well done film. Um, Faye Dunaway, right, plays one of the main characters and she is absolutely fantastic. Peter Finch is in it as well. And the screenplay was by Patty Shayevsky, who was a really, really great screenwriter um and fantastic satirist so it's in the same line of satirical insanity that we see with tom parada's work um my other recommendation for a more modern perspective on satire and comedy that still has a lot of heart would be sloan crossley's essays she has three books of essays um my favorite is her first book which is called i was told there'd be cake and (laughs) yeah she um she really captures the awkward humanity of being a female living in this world and kind of bumbling your way through it not really knowing exactly what you're doing um the indecision of being like a an elder millennial younger gen xer she's kind of on that line and like one of the most iconic moments I think of that she writes about is like what would happen if she died and her parents went into her apartment and they opened up one of the drawers in her kitchen and found her secret my little pony stash (laughs) you know (laughs) it's like um, if if Tracy Flick took herself less seriously she might be Sloan Crossley yeah so um, I think those are really really good books to read as well she's just such an entertaining writer and she has a similar voice to Tom Parada that's just very palatable so highly recommend those too thanks for listening to this episode of the book lovers podcast all our titles are available in the spartanburg county public libraries collections via spartanburglibraries.org for more information about the titles discussed on this episode or to learn more about us check out our website bookloverspodcast.squarespace.com rate review and subscribe to book lovers on apple podcasts spotify and wherever you get your podcasts